Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the mini break. Your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, January 24th. Day 9 of the 2023 Australian Open is officially in the books. There's not a ton of drama for us to dissect from what happened on court, but still plenty of information for us to digest coming off of the first half of quarterfinal round play at this event. On today's show, I want to break down each of the four quarterfinal matches we saw unfold. Why was it that Elena Rybakina's straight set victory over Yelena Ostapenko looked so routine? I'll explain why I think so here on today's show. Of course, I also want to explain how Karen Hatchinov was able to survive the early test from Sebi Korda. Unfortunately, Korda forced to retire, but still, I do think there's some information for us to process coming off of Hatchinov's win. Certainly, if you watched any of Victoria Azarenka's victory over Jesse Pagula. You're perhaps now drinking the Kool-Aid I've been drinking over the course of the past few weeks. I think Azarenka has looked excellent to start this 2023 season. Her result here in Melbourne, certainly a testament to that fact. And then how about Stefano Tsitsipas? A third straight Australian Open semifinal, fourth of his career, six times he's now advanced to the semifinals at the majors. He's undefeated in quarterfinal round play. How did he do it this time? I'll get into that here on today's show. Of course, before we do, a couple of things I want to bring to the attention of all of you tennis fans. A, with things slowing down at the year's first majors, some space has opened up on the tennis calendar. The good news is that we here at Crack Rackets plan to help fill it for all of you tennis fans as we are thrilled to be broadcasting the ceremonial start of the 2023 college tennis season, the ITA kickoff weekend happening this weekend at 30 regions across the country. We will have the majority of them for you available over on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Coverage starts on Friday, continues all the way through Monday. Again, it's going to be about 12 hours of tennis a day, so be sure to pop in. You want to know who the next Cam Norrie, who the next Ben Shelton, Danielle Collins, Jennifer Brady's might be. You can find them competing across the country this week in ITF kickoff weekend action. Again, we are so excited to have it for you over on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Also, just a reminder, if you're looking for previews, picks each and every day prior to the start of this Australian Open, head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed where we have our Ace of the Day segment for all of you listeners. I'm 18, 14, and 1 with my picks so far, but 18 and 7, excuse me, 17 and 8 overall 
coming off of a disastrous day one that saw me go one and six. So 17 and eight overall since day number two. I found my groove. Come join us while we're riding this wave. Enjoy the last few days. Get in on the action with what we're talking about over on the Ace of the Day podcast feed. And then I know many of you have taken the time to watch the Netflix docuseries Breakpoint, which follows multiple ATP and WTA players, offers an intimate behind-the-scenes look at life on tour. We break down each and every episode of that show over on our show called simply The Breakpoint Show. And you can find that over on our Crack Rackets website, wherever you listen to your podcasts, or on my dear friend Gil Gross's YouTube channel. Be sure, if you are interested in that Netflix series, to check out that podcast series because we've had a ton of fun breaking down all of the episodes and certainly want to hear your thoughts on everything that's unfolded as well. But again, with all that in mind, ITA kickoff weekend on the horizon. Preview every day over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Breakpoint discussion over on the Breakpoint show. With all of that said, you didn't come to hear about any of that. You, of course, came to hear about day nine of this 2023 Australian Open. So let's get into it. Let's go chronologically through each of these four quarterfinal matches. And we have now officially reached the stage of the event where I can break down each of these matches individually, get into some of the granular things I thought stood out throughout the course of each and every performance. Performance. Let's start with Elena Rabakina, the 23-year-old, 22 seed, 6-2, over 17th seeded Yelena Ostapenko. You look for Rabakina now into the semifinals of a major for a second time. She obviously reached the semifinals at Wimbledon last year. On her way to the title, you look for Elena Rabakina now. Again, she's won two-thirds of her matches over the course of a two-and-a-half-year stretch. Since January 2020, she's now 108-56 overall in the matches that she's played. She's reached 12 different semifinals and... Again, has done it at two different slams. She did it at the Tokyo Olympics as well. You look for Rabakina. She's now reached the second week at four of the last 11 slams that she's played. It's exceptional. The power tennis, the 23-year-old, is capable of displaying match in, match out. And that, to me, was what made this match look so routine. It was how in command of her weapons Elena Rabakina was from start to finish in this performance. And again, Rabakina blitzes Ostapenko with an impressive display of power in set number one in taking that 6-2 victory. And, you know, again, for the majority of this match, I know it's a 6-2, 6-4 scoreline, so it seems fair. Fairly intuitive, but I'd like to be clear for the majority of this match and just about all of it, Elena Rabakina was the front runner. Now, there was a long opening service game for Yelena Ostapenko. She ultimately ends up getting broken by Rabakina, and from there, Rabakina just put relentless pressure on Ostapenko. It's how I was going to make a football analogy. It might be lost on some of you tennis fans, but sometimes, you know, uh, a team gets up 10 nothing or 14 nothing in football, and then they just are consistently running the football and running out the clock. That's what Elena Rabakina did with her plus one tennis in this match. She got up early in set number one, and then she just executed relentlessly with her first strike down the home stretch and throughout the course of that opening set. And you look for Rabakina in set number one, only made 54% of her first serves and yet won 92% 
of her first serve points. She played four service games. She dropped six total points on serve. That's typically how you get the job done. 12 winners against nine unforced errors. You look for her in that opening set. Rabakina won 31 total points. 27 of them came in zero to four shot rallies, meaning she hit the first serve. She either hit a first approach shot winner or she just hit the serve as a service winner itself to end the rally. She was connecting with the return of serve plenty comfortably. And look, when she got her two breaks of serve with what a rhythm she was in on serve herself, the rest of that first serve wasn't a contest. There was nothing Ostapenko could do really to work her way into a service game. 6-2, Rabakina's cruising and her weapons overwhelm Ostapenko, who tactically, and this is where we can get granular, it's easy for me to say here with a podcast microphone versus when you're actually staring down the 115 mile per hour bullets that Rabakina throws at you every point, but you just felt like Ostapenko was a little too stubborn and Spoiler alert, I, that's not a shock uh, if you've seen Ostapenko, who very much is determined to play her own brand of power tennis to dictate from the center of the court. And yet, Ostapenko, who's a top 15 returner on the WTA Tour, who takes time away by taking the return early on the rise, beating you to the spot, being so aggressive with that first ball, you can't do that when it's a 115-mile-per-hour bullet coming your way, or it's just that much more difficult to do so. And Rabakin was just able to get the first serve so deep into the body of Ostapenko that she wasn't able to extend into it freely, time the ball well, and get a clean rip on the return. No, she was rushed on a lot of those returns and either leaving them short or missing them altogether. Ostapenko was a little too stubborn in set number one. But then she was kind of rewarded for that stubbornness because she breaks Rabakina right away to set number two, takes a two-love lead, connects on a couple of returns early on the rise, one down the line, run cross-court for a winner that helps secure her the break, and she gets up that two-love lead. But again, what was so impressive about Elena Rabakina in this match? She goes down two-love. What does she do right away? First point of the next game, she hits a forehand return winner cross-court. She's off and running once again, and Rabakina able to get that break right back. She gets pushed down break points in set number two uh, in that two a 1-2 service game. 30-40 point, what does she do? Big first serve, not down the tee, not out wide, not going for the ace, no. Big first serve into the body, sets up an easy two-forehand combination, a high percentage put away that was never in doubt. Same thing, second break point, what does she do? Big first serve, big first forehand combination. She holds for 2 all. And again, you look overall through the course of this match, Ostapenko, a 48% first serve percentage in set number two. and I just had too many chances to step up, take that return early on the rise, hit an unreturnable ball in Ostapenko's direction. And that tells the story of this match. The extended rallies, and there weren't many of them, there were 119 points in this match, just 31 of them went over five shots. Rabakina, Ostapenko, Rabakina 17, Ostapenko 14. That was essentially a wash. But in that 0-4 to four execution, Rabakina was able to do it more easily and more frequently, more comfortably than Ostapenko. Rabakina winning 50 of the 0-4 to four shot rallies. Ostapenko just uh, an impressive 38. She kept pace, especially for the majority of the second set. And again, I thought she was taking the ball early on the rise when she had the opportunity to hit an advantageous shot. She certainly knew she had to capitalize on it, and she did. There were moments when she got Rabakina stretched, moments where the pace and the depth of her backhand or whatever ground stroke it may be forced a short ball 
ball out of Rabakin, and then it was Ostapenko who was in control, but Rabakin was better more consistent at executing that elite level of uh, of power tennis. That's why she's a member of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club and why she's a tier one talent as we move into this decade. On the WTA Tour, you look again for Elena Rabakina, second career slam, semifinal, but now 40-21 and 21 is Rabakina overall over the course of her last 52 weeks. You look for her 12-7 and seven against top 20 players during that stretch as well. Well-deserved for Rabakina that she is back up to her career high of number 12 in the live rankings. For God's sake, in the last four slams, she's made a semifinal. She's won a title. Yes, there was the first round loss at last year's U.S. Open, but look how she's recovered here in Australia. Rapakana, we just feel like with how consistent she is with her power tennis, with how clean her technique is, yes, she's inconsistent on the return of serve, but it's not because of a technique issue. Yes, the forehand backswing's a little big, but the ability to drive through the backhand the ability to connect with three returns that just win her points consecutively in a row and how well she protects that serve third on the WTA tour last season. Elite. It's elite power tennis. That's what Elena Rybakina plays and how confident she is in herself. You could see, again, there was never a doubt. She goes down 2-0. She immediately gets that break back in set number two. She just executed better than Yelena Ostapenko, who didn't play poorly, by the way. And I do think for Ostapenko, just a quick postmortem, she's now 36-20 and 20 overall in her last 52 weeks. You look at some of the runs, Eastbourne Final, Wimbledon Round of 16, Seoul Final, Australian Open Quarter Final, her run in the Middle East last year where she won Dubai and made the semifinals in Doha. There's a lot of caches of points to defend, but we've now seen this Ostapenko five times in the past year. That's the most we've seen it in a single calendar frame since probably 2017, 2018. And so, again, you got to give a shout out to Yelena Ostapenko, who uh, has played better, uh, who stayed focused in each of the matches she should have won throughout the course of this Australian Open. And again, didn't play poorly against Rabakina just was overwhelmed by a superior player. And, you know, for Ostapenko, she'll have to continue to work on the serve. Yes, she made 60% of her first serves in this match. But, you know, again, if she's if she's not going to improve her movement, if being a power first front strike, uh, you know, first strike front foot player is just who she wants to be moving forward, then that serve has to be the table setter more frequently than it is for her. Still, this was a step in the right direction. And you look for Ostapenko. She comes out of this slam currently ranked 11th in the live rankings. Tons of points to defend with the Middle East coming up, but this is a good start with a quarterfinal here in Australia. That said, Elena Rabakina, your first winner on day number nine of the Australian Open. Your second winner on the day, 26-year-old Karen Hatchinov, who reaches a second consecutive semifinal at the majors. Hatchinov, a straight-set retirement victory over Sebi Korda. Korda down two sets to love and three love, forced to retire due to a wrist injury. We'll get to him momentarily, but I don't want to minimize how impressive that back-to-back quarter uh, semifinal excuse me, run is for the 26-year-old Hatchinov. In fact, since 2017, which is the first framework I used because that's when we started this podcast. I also think that's really when this next-gen ATP campaign, people like Hatchinov, who was born in 1996, the players the original campaign highlighted, really got rocking and rolling since the start 
of the 2017 season. Here's the list of players to reach the semifinals at back-to-back majors, which Hashinov has done after his semifinal at the 2022 U.S. Open. Now his semifinal here. The list of guys who have done it, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, Wawrinka, Team, Medvedev, who I would point out, all six slam champions, Zverev, Tsitsipas, and Hachinov. It's a pretty good list of nine names for Hachinov to now find himself on. And look, I know Korda was forced to retire due to injury. Let's be abundantly clear. Karen Hachinov played very well through the first set of this match. And I thought throughout the course of his straight set victory, again, Hachinov ultimately earning a 7-6-6-3-6 love win. It's more eye test than easy to explain, but watching this match, it was the weight of shot for Karen Hachinov that stood out from the get-go. His serve, his forehand from the start were the two biggest weapons on the court. And of course, it always helps to open a match with a break. And Karen Hachinov very quickly races out to an early break lead here in the first set of this match. But look, credit to Korda who kept swinging, who did a very good job of moving the ball around the court in set number one, not hitting the ball in the same direction more than three times in a row, taking the ball early on the rise when the moment called for it. I also thought Korda did a much better job of protecting his serve as the set went along. And you look overall for the set, each guy wins 24 of the zero to four shot rallies in set number one. By the way, set number one, Hatchdoff wins 37 total points, Korda wins 36 talk about a toss-up. I mean, again, you look for Hatchnov overall in the match. The key thing he did in that first set as well is he executed his first serve better. Hatchnov made hit, you know, in a set where there was a one-point difference, that can be the difference. And as I alluded to from the start, Hatchnov's serve and forehand were the two biggest weapons on the court. He hit seven aces, won 80% of his first serve points in set number one. He also hit 12 winners against eight unforced errors. You know, credit to Korda, who went eight of eight at the net and won 84% of his own first serve points in set number one, just didn't make them as frequently as Hatchinov did. And again, that can be how thins the margin are, especially in men's tennis, the opportunity to play first strike. That epitomizes winning opportunity, you know, that it defines winning opportunities, I should say, in this ma- uh, in this game. And credit to Hatchinov, who displayed some great physicality as well, in particular on set point, his ability to extend the rally, step up and hit this beautiful backhand down the line winner. You just felt like, especially because Hatchinov went up the early break in set number one, served for the setup either 5-3 or 5-4. Korda manages to get that break back, though, and extend the set, force the breaker. Korda had started to serve and volley, get a little bit more aggressive like he did in set number five of his round four victory over Hubi Hercots. And then Hatchinov was able to fight him off, got up an early mini break, was able to hold on to it, gets a break midway through set number two. You could tell that just took the wind out of court of sales who continued to be, you know, plagued by various nicks and bruises throughout the course of the match. And then by the time it was over, you could just tell Korda didn't have anything left. And you can understand why he withdrew in that moment because to play any further would have just further wrist injury. And we knew where the match was headed, you know, again, Credit to Hatchinov, 7-6, 6-3, win for the 18th seed. You look for Hatchinov by reaching the semifinals. He's back up to number 13 
in the ATP rankings. And again, you look for Karen Hatchinov now over the course of the past two, three months on tour since reaching the semifinals of the U.S. Open. Hatchinov has put together a heck of a stretch. He's currently 18-7, and seven, winning 72% of his matches over a three-month run. Again, scoreline, there's some bad losses, but name-wise, Rude, Djokovic twice, Korda, Medvedev, Draper, Evans. Those are his seven losses, including his 18 wins. Draper twice, Kyrgios, Carreño Busta, Chilich, Korda, Tiafo, Hustler. Karen Hatchoff is playing like a top 20 guy. He's playing like a top 15 guy over the last three months, and I'm glad that the rankings are able to reflect that fact. And I said the stat in our preview Hatchoff's made at least round three. He's been one of the 32 best players at 19 of his last 22 majors. He has now made the second week at the majors in his career a remarkable amount of times. Karen Hatchoff has reached round number uh, four at a major nine times in his career. Nine second weeks, four quarterfinals. Like, I know he hasn't won a title since winning the Paris Masters, but come on. A silver medalist at the Olympics as well, back-to-back semifinals. He's still just 26 years old. You feel like the best tennis really could be ahead for Hatchdorf. And now that he's put three months consecutively together, has a little bit of momentum, certainly some confidence, heading into a very open portion of the calendar where, look, there are indoor hardcore events we know his game is well-suited to have success on. I mean, it's a very, very open opportunity for Hatchnov. And look, he's also got a very winnable match in the semifinals taking on Stefano Tsitsipas, although it's worth noting Tsitsipas 5-0 in the career head-to-head, even if their matches have typically been tight, and we'll break that down more later on as that match gets closer to approaching. But credit to Hatchnov. Too physical. You know, again, was able to play the backhands evenly with Korda yesterday. And you could tell Korda just wasn't comfortable turning fully into his backhand wing, how limited he felt. You could tell, again, the wrist injury was certainly bothering him. But Hatchinov was ready to match that backhand. And he certainly played him even in set number one. And then his serve, his forehand, produced more winners than, in my opinion, any other ball we saw hit throughout the course of the day. Again, credit to Karen Hatchinov. It was a clean performance, I would say, more than anything else from the 26-year-old. And again, ultimately, you look at the stats from this match, Karen Hatchnov, and it's tough because you can't really filter out the third set match or the third setter, you know, towards the end when Hatchnov, Korda, uh, excuse me, was slipping towards the end of set number two. But Hatchnov makes 67% of his first serves, hits 12 aces, 40 of 50 on first serve points, over 50% on the second serve, 27 winners against 18 unforced errors, 8 of 12 at the net. He did what needed to be done into the semifinals, once again, at the major second consecutive semifinal for Karen Hatchinov. And, you know, again, big test coming up, certainly, as he's going to take on Stefano Tsitsipas, a match we will get to momentarily. But let's stick with this chronological theme, and let's go back to the women's side for quarterfinal number three, a quarterfinal where ultimately I think we saw the highest level, uh, no, I liked Rubakin a little bit more, but still, 
I thought in terms of the level of tennis we saw from each player from an entertainment perspective, honestly, even though they were straight sets, they were all pretty good. The point is Azarenka Pagula was very fun. And ultimately, in the end, it was uh, Victoria Azarenka who advances to another Australian Open semifinal, this time for Azarenka via a 6-4, 6-1 victory over Jessica Pagula. You look now for Victoria Azarenka, who, of course, it's worth noting, has won this event in the past Victoria Azarenka and Australian Open uh, excuse me, has reached the, yeah, Australian Open champion in 2012 and 2013. I was like, it was back-to-back titles, right? It was indeed, of course, you look for Azarenka. Now she's into at least the semifinals of this event uh, for what I believe is just the third time, though, and whenever she's reached the semifinal round, while it's her seventh quarterfinal, when she's gotten to the semifinals previously, she has won the title back-to-back in 2012 and 2013. All that is to say Vika's in that sort of form right now and you look for Victoria Azarenka throughout the course of her straight set victory she manages to hit uh, 17 winners against just 20 unforced errors perhaps more importantly she coaxed 31 unforced errors out of the third seeded Jessica Pagula and I mentioned the zero to four shot rallies how how the majority, I think it was what, like 72% of the rallies in Rabakada Ostapenko were zero to four shot rallies. It was the inverse of that in this Pagula Azarenka match. Here's how I will frame it. There we go. This was your most physical match. That's the term I was searching for in my long rambling intro to this battle. This was the most physical match you saw on day number nine of this event. And credit to Victoria Azarenka, who in the shot in the rallies that go over five shots, Azarenka wins 43 of those points. That was 43 of her 74 overall, by the way. You look uh, for Jessica Pagula, she wins just 28 of those rallies, which on a normal day gets the job done. But again, for Vika, it was her ability to just extend every point. And she hit this high and heavy forehand that just got up on the shoulder of Jessica Pagula and gave her forehand difficulties. And credit to Azarenka, who I noticed was playing high and heavy through that Jessica Pagula forehand wing. She didn't want to mess with that Pagula backhand wing at all. Pagula so successful when she steps into that backhand, driving it either cross or line. And there were certainly moments where Pagula connected with a down-the-line forehand or took a forehand early on the rise and beat Azarenka to the spot cross court. But for the most time, with how deep those high and heavy forehands for Azarenka were landing in the court, Pagula would play defensive, would ultimately leave a ball short. And credit to Victoria Azarenka when she received the opportunity to pounce on the ball, she was able to do precisely that. And again, I know 17 winners against 20 unforced errors doesn't sound immense, but when over 50% of the points are going over five shots and you're playing these long physical rallies, it was Pagula who felt the need to pull the trigger, who felt the need to end the rally early because Victoria Azarenka, as I have alluded to on this show over the course of the past three weeks, she's just on another planet physically right now. And for what it's worth, Azarenka during this COVID stretch, August 2020 to now, she's 26 and nine at the majors that she's played. She's reached the second week at majors on four separate occasions. She did it U.S. Open 2020, where she obviously made the final 2022 Australian Open 2022 U.S. Open now here at this Australian Open. So that's what four of the last six hardcourt majors she's made at least round number four of. That's a trend. 
That is a trend, something to just keep in mind. Yes, she hasn't won a major since that 2013 Australian Open. I know she's competed in a couple of finals, but on the hard courts, and particularly here in Australia where she's now made six quarterfinals, she has always been this sort of player. And the combination of movement, the heaviness of the ball, the depth of the ball, the fact that it does feel like Victoria Azarenka I don't know if she's a, uh, she's an elite competitor, so that is what she's elite at, just the mentality, the consistent and relentless aggression. That is what she does so well. But perhaps, you know, again, from a weapon standpoint, I mean, she takes the ball early on the rise. She's very good at everything. I don't know if she's elite of the elite on, ev- on anything, but she is very, very good at everything, and she is healthy. She is fit. She is confident. Again, 26-9. and nine. Uh, she is, you know, this is the third time she's gone past the quarterfinals here at the Australian Open. The two previous times she goes on to win the title. She is, for what it's worth, 26 and 13 in her last 52. But perhaps more notably, since the start of the U.S. Open last year, where again she did ultimately reach the fourth round of that event, but since the start of the U.S. Open last year, Azarenka's 14 and five. Her losses: Pliskova and three. Alexandrova in three, six and one to Pagula, seven six in the third to Nuskova, six four in the third to Kudermatova. So four of her five losses have been in three sets, and the third was six and one in the semis to in, to Jessica Pagula after she had beaten Bedosa, Keys, and Coco Goff consecutively. I mean, come on. That's elite tennis. That's top 15, top 10 sort of material. And statistically, that's what Azarenka's been. When she's been healthy throughout the course of this COVID era, she just has not been that healthy over the course of the past two and a half years. But she is right now. She's fit as a fiddle. Just exceptional. She played maybe the best individual performance relative to what I was expecting from anyone on the day. Again, just how physically fit she is right now. A 4-1 win for Azarenka. She is into a Grand Slam semifinal now. You want to guess? I'm giving you some time to guess. She's into a Grand Slam semifinal for the ninth time in her career. 5-3 and three in her previous eight. For a final note on Jessica Poliskova. Jessica Pliskova, Jessica Pagula, leave it in. It's heartbreaking. I mean, it's so tough when you look for Pagula, who since the start of last season, she's 18 and 5. 18 and 5 at the majors. She's reached at least round three at all five and quarterfinals in four of the five. Her last four losses, Azarenka, Iga, Iga, Barty when she's reached the quarterfinal round. Obviously, the prior three all went on to win that slam last year. And given her level right now, the confidence with which she's playing, absolutely Victoria Azarenka could end up with the crown on her head. But boy, with all the momentum Pagula had built, how well she played in her first four matches, how well she played to get through in straight sets against Krejcikova, who's not entirely dissimilar, though doesn't move quite as well as Azarenka, uh, but not entirely dissimilar of a matchup. Pagula played well. Azarenka just played better. And I think, again, from a weapons standpoint, these are two players who are both very good at everything. I think Azarenka is a little bit more comfortable playing plus one tennis, hitting the first serve, hitting the big first strike, willing to be daring in the biggest moments. And, you know, again, not that Jessica Pagula hasn't been willing to be exactly that over the course of the past, really, 
36 months. Like, again, Jessica Pagula has been phenomenal, but Azarenka, unfortunately, on this day was that much better. You look at the net points, I do think that's a category Pagula will kick herself for. Pagula, 9 of 10 to Azarenka's 14 of 20. When Pagula was moving forward, it's what allowed her to help Again, keep things close in set number one. She went down an early break, and credit to Pagula, who got that break back with Azarenka serving for the first set, up 5-3. But then a couple of on-the-rise returns from Victoria Azarenka. She gets that break. She closes out the set. She was the aggressor for the majority of set number two. Victoria Azarenka, a 6-4-6-1 victory. She advances again to her ninth career major semifinal. That said, your final match of day number nine. How about Stefano Tsitsipas? From an eye test perspective, he really just has looked like a different guy this year. And Tsitsipas now winner of eight consecutive matches to start 2022. This time for Tsitsipas, it's a 6-3-7-6-6-4 victory over the rising 21-year-old Yuri Lachetchka. Now look, Tsitsipas had a disappointing ending to last season, losing first round of the U.S. Open, losing, uh, you know, two of three matches in the tour finals, and, you know, falling short in a couple of big stages, Astana final to Djokovic, Stockholm final to Runa, you know, Paris semifinals to Djokovic again. Not that the Djokovic loss was a bad loss, but, you know, certainly... It felt like Tsitsipas had maybe fallen just outside of the elite of the elite tier. You were starting to waver on him as a tier one guy moving forward. Well, he has quickly, quickly dispelled those tier one concerns to start this season. I mean, look at the wins. Sinner, Berrettini, Dimitrov, Goffin, Chorich. I mean, again, Greekspor, who had won seven in a row coming into that match, and Sinner, who had looked so exceptional and played top 10 level tennis in their five-set round four match. And then a guy in Yuri Lachetchka who had beaten Cam Nori, who had beaten Borna Chorich, who had beaten Felix Ogier Aliasim, and is playing certainly at a top 20 level right now, and yet... Tsitsipas just brought the biggest guns to the court. You look for Stefano Tsitsipas throughout the course of this match. It was his ability to hit his first serve, to play with his plus one forehand that just separated him from Lachetchka. Tsitsipas, 75 points, one in the zero to four shot rallies. Lachetchka was at 52. You know, Tsitsipas, 108 points, one. Lachetchka, 89. 19-point deficit overall, 23-point deficit in the 0-4. to four. It's the fact when Stefano Tsitsipas gets a look at a first forehand, he puts that ball away. Tsitsipas, 36 winners in this match against 28 unforced errors. Tsitsipas, an efficient... Uh, it, uh, an efficient 14 of 21 at the net moving forward. He converted two of his six breakpoint chances, but perhaps most importantly, fought off all eight breakpoints that he faced, in particular down 15-40 late in set number two. Hit a really nice first serve, uh, first forehand combination on back-to-back points to get him out of that deficit. He's just in rhythm. He's just routine. And the weight of his first forehand, the weight of any forehand he hits, he baits you into challenging his on-the-run forehand. And then how heavy he hits that forehand cross-court to the open court. He got he just beat Lachetchka. Again, Lachetchka played really well. Like, you look for Yuri Lachetchka, he was broken twice 
during the course of this match. Lachetka hit 38 winners, two more than Tsitsipas. And, you know, Tsitsipas had a plus eight winner to unforced error ratio. Lachetka was plus six. He also won 79% to Tsitsipas's 80% of his first serve points. He made 2% fewer first serves. And Tsitsipas made 66 first serves in this match. Lachetka made 62. Like, yes, Tsitsipas was a little bit better at attacking second serves, in particular finding forehand returns on the Lachetka second serve, but Yuri moves well. He hit his backhand down the line well to keep Tsitsipas honest. Tsitsipas just played top five tennis. I don't know how else to say it. And you look for Stefano Tsitsipas, fourth career Australian Open semifinal, third consecutive Australian Open semifinal. He has consistently, this is a take, it's not even a hot take, it's just a fact. Stefano Tsitsipas in four of the last five seasons has consistently been one of the three best players in each of the first six-month stretches of each of the last four or five seasons. You know, for him to make the Australian Open semifinal twice, uh, three times in a row and in four of the last five years, for him to have thrown in a French Open semifinal, a French Open final in 2020 and 2021 as well to pair with those semifinal runs. I mean, again, like... He has, in 2021, he was unequivocally one of the five best players to start the 2021 season. And he's consistently one of the guys with either top two or number one in wins through the first six months of the year. And I know things have burned out for him as the season progresses into month seven, eight, nine in each of those last few years as well. And maybe he needs to do a better job of pacing himself throughout the course of the season. But, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Do it four out of five years and make the semifinals three years in a row. We just know Stefano Tsitsipas comes out of the month of December fit, focused, and ready. And again, these Australian open courts, his serve, his forehand, they've looked so successful. He's an exceptional volleyer moving forward. He just played big man tennis, and I have no complaints. Lachetka played well. He attacked well. He moved well. I'm a much bigger believer in his backhand coming out of this first month of the season than I was even during the next-gen finals last year. But you look for Yuri Lachetka, rises all the way to a new career high, number 39 in the rankings. This is a huge moment for him. But for Stefano Tsitsipas, I mean, again, you look according to Tennis Abstract right now, he's a 73.9% favorite in his semifinal matchup, 5-0. and against Karen Hatchinov in his career. It's a great start and a reminder of why Stefano Tsitsipas is a tier one talent. I think he's still a lock to win a slam in this 2020s decade. With that said, that's your look at day number nine of this 2023 Australian Open. Again, day 10 preview content and all preview content available over on our Great Shot podcast feed. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. A shout out as well to our dear friends at... Tennis Point for all the best equipment at all of the best prices. Just go to tennis-point.com today. Use our promo code CR15 to let them know that we sent you there. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.